Today's scripture reading is from Romans 1, 14 through 17. It's Romans 1, 14 through 17. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here today. How many of you expected to be in the 8 o'clock service this morning and ended up here instead, huh? Took you by surprise, maybe, did me. I flew in last night from uh, San Antonio, Texas at 1045, only to realize it's actually 1145, and it was a kind of a moment. So glad you're here. Don't nap for the next 45 minutes, okay? Get your nap in this afternoon. Hey, Dave Moore mentioned, uh, before we get in the text today, he mentioned that uh, we'll be doing something after our Fresh Encounter service on uh, Sunday night next week, which is our prayer time. We'll be um, we're doing kind of a congregational meeting of sorts. Uh, some of you remember in smaller churches kind of have a quarterly business meeting. It's not really that, but what we are doing is I uh, want to just love you by giving you some information on what's going on in your church. Uh, talk a little bit, a bit about that survey and uh, other things that are happening in the ministry. So if you'd love, we'd love you to come uh, on uh, March 17th, pray, and then hear a little bit about what's going on in your church. All right. Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord's help now. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we're so grateful that uh, we get to be together, uh, be under your word, and to be exhorted and challenged by the Holy Spirit through the revealed Word of God. And we want to receive it today as what it is. It is the very words of God. And so I pray you help me today to be faithful to what this text says and that you, Holy Spirit, would empower new levels of affections within our hearts for this matter of personal evangelism. We pray that over the next number of weeks there will be a harvest of people who will come to faith in you And there'll be an army of people who will be motivated to share Christ in ways that maybe they haven't done in a long time. And so we pray you would come now, help us, motivate us, empower us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we begin a four-part series on the matter of personal evangelism. And it's part of a bigger picture strategy that we have for 2013, some of which we've already told you about beginning of the year. There's three key things that we're working on this year. The first is the the matter of discipleship. And that is that as we've grown to be a large church, we want to be sure that we don't forget the call from the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1.28 to present everyone mature in Christ. And so the vision of discipleship really simply is this, is that we'd love for you in a one-on-one relationship with somebody else to spend time in the Word and in prayer just pouring your life into other people. You don't need a program. You don't need an official... um, blessing from us. Just go and do it. Find somebody and uh, pour your life into them and be reminded that uh, we're meant to walk together. And so we're doing some things, but more than anything, we want to call you to a vision of discipleship that we could present everyone mature in Christ. The second thing is in regards to multiplication. So we got discipleship multiplication, and that relates to kind of College Park next. And we have a research and development team that's looking into all of this for us. I'm really excited about what is um, in store for us. And it involves 
finding ways to reach the city of Indianapolis through a church planting strategy. In other words, College Park Next involves some of you leaving and going to help start new works in the city uh, that we love and call home. Did you know that of all the metropolitan areas in the country that Indianapolis has the fewest number of new church plants in it? Pretty remarkable. There's an unbelievable opportunity in front of us, and so we're looking into that uh, not only because of the needs of the city, but also the needs of us as a church. We think there's something healthy and right about regularly asking you to consider leaving the comfortable sort of um, congregation that you have here and consider helping starting something new. Then the third piece, and that's what we're doing today, is this matter of personal evangelism. And the bottom line is, as we thought about how to help all of us grow spiritually, We thought, you know, there's very few things that we do in our walk and following Christ that are really more risky than sharing our faith. And when you're sharing your faith and kind of out there on the edge, you're more inclined to ask people to pray for you. You're more inclined to pray yourself. You're more inclined to read the scriptures. You ask good questions. There's sort of an edginess to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we're taking the next four weeks to really just dial into this matter of what does it mean to be a person who's vocal about their relationship with Jesus. What we're asking you to do is to pray this particular prayer. We're saying, Lord, would you open a door? Would you then open my mouth? And would you open their heart? Praying that you'd open a door. Lord, give me an opportunity. And when that opportunity comes, help me to open my mouth and speak. And then, God, I'm going to trust you that you are the one who can open their heart. There's something really empowering about that prayer. Because it means that you're anticipating that God wants to do something praying that he'd even give you the boldness to speak, and then you're going to trust his sovereignty that he's going to take care of it. I mean, just so you know, you can't mess up a gospel presentation. Do you know that? I mean, even if you forgot the Romans road and you went to the Leviticus road, and you're like, wait a minute, where was this at? God can still redeem people through your messed up gospel presentation. So here's the deal. Pray that he'll open a door, and when he opens that door, just open your mouth and trust, God, this, this is your work. You can't save people. God can You can't convert people. The Holy Spirit can. But it's our responsibility to anticipate that God would want to open a door, that he'd want to have our mouths to be open, and that he works in and through us. Uh, St. Augustine said that um, without God, we can do nothing. But without us, God doesn't want to do anything. So the reality is God wants to work in and through us. He wants to do things in our lives, and we're the means by which he's called us to share the gospel. So over the next four weeks, here's what we're going to be looking at. Today we're looking at what it means to apply the gospel. In other words, how do we make the gospel live and work in our lives such that we love it and are champions for it? The next week, what does it mean to live the gospel, that God's placed you in strategic locations in the world? How are you using them? Third, what it means to share the gospel. We're going to give you five key words and help you know how to share the gospel effectively and quickly, and then finally celebrating the gospel. This will all terminate on Easter Sunday, where we will celebrate the beautiful resurrected gospel. And it's my hope that over the next couple weeks, you'll pray about maybe inviting somebody who's spiritually searching to uh, join us on Easter Sunday or in the next number of weeks. Maybe you're even here today and you're spiritually searching. And we're just thrilled if that's the case, because you're going to hear very clearly what the gospel message of the Bible is all about. And uh, just a real privilege to be able to share that with you. It's changed our lives, and we hope it will change yours. And so you may know somebody who's kind of in that searching process. So over the next couple of weeks, would encourage you to love them and invite them. So maybe when you heard that we're going to talk about evangelism, your reaction is somewhat like mine. When I either hear the topic or even growing up when I heard it, there's sort of this internal groan. Because you you have this sense of, you know what, here I go, I'm going to feel guilty again 
about all the ways that I'm not sharing my faith enough. And I just want to say from the outset that that our aim through this series is not to guilt you into sharing your faith. In fact, I think that the motivation by guilt never really works over the long haul. Instead, what I want to do is I want to show you today the beautiful reality of what the gospel is and show you the winsome arguments that Paul gives as to why the gospel needs to be preached and declared. Our text today is Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 17. And in this text, there are two key parts. In the first part of our text, Paul identifies that he can't wait to go to Rome to preach the gospel. We'll talk about that. And then secondly, he tells them why he loves the gospel so much. So my aim today is to help you to see that, that a passion for evangelism is rooted in our love for the good news. So in order for you to be an effective gospel witness, in order for you to talk about the good news, you need to really love the good news. In fact, that's what the whole series title is, The Resurrected Gospel. I would argue that when you came to faith in Christ the first time, you were so excited and so thrilled because it was this thing that radically changed your life and you had news that you wanted everybody to share. And then over time, something happens. It just becomes too normal, too common, and our passion begins to subside. And so I want to call us to kind of resurrect this affection and love uh, that we have for the gospel message. So first, in uh, verses 14 and 15, we see that Paul actually has a desire to preach the gospel. And specifically, he wants to preach the gospel in Rome, not just to the unconverted, but he actually wants to preach the gospel to believers. So that then raises the question, why would Paul want to preach the gospel to believers? Chapter 1 gives us his heart as uh, Paul writes to the Roman church. He He writes to a group of believers, a group that he's never actually visited, but he longs to see. If you look at verse 8 of chapter 1, you'll see that he has already heard about their faith. In verse 9 and 10, he's prayed for them regularly. He desires to uh, visit them in verse 10. Uh, Verse 12, he says that he wants to encourage them in their faith, and that previously, verse 13, he had tried to make a trip to Rome, but had been previously hindered. So his heart was for this church. Verse 13 tells us what his goal was. He says that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So Paul had a mission to the Gentiles. The gospel had expanded now from its epicenter of the Jewish people, was now spreading to the rest of the known world. And Paul has a heart to be able to go to Rome, a very strategic location, to be able to preach the gospel. But his motivation is more than just strategic influence as it relates to the city of Rome. He, he felt an obligation to preach the good news to everyone. Look at verse 14. Text begins and it says this, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So Paul intends to go to Rome and he intends to preach the gospel to those who have never heard it. That word barbarian means those who are non-Greek speaking. So Paul is saying, look, I'm under obligation to preach it to those who are part of the Greco-Roman Empire and I'm under obligation to preach it to anybody who has not heard this message. To the wise and to the foolish. In other words, to people from all walks of life. But what's interesting is that Paul not only intended to preach the gospel to people who had never heard it, he specifically says, I I want to come to preach the gospel to those of you who are in Rome, and specifically he's talking to people who are in the church. 
So talking about preaching the gospel is not just to those who have never heard the gospel. Certainly unbelievers need to know and understand the gospel. But what Paul is also saying here is that believers need to rehearse and to have the gospel preached to them again. Now about 10 years ago, even as a pastor, I came to kind of an an epiphany moment. You see, all my life prior to that time, I sort of had this, um, this animus towards churches who every single Sunday, they just preached one message every single Sunday, and essentially was, no matter what text in the Bible they were, they made a beeline to John 3.16, and that every single Sunday, it was simply about knowing where you were going when you die. And so, in my view, growing up, and my church wasn't like this, but other churches were, and then going through college and seminary, I was frustrated that there were these churches who... Really, once you were saved, so to speak, once you had received Christ as your Savior, and you knew where you were going when you died, then that was it. And so you just came to church every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. There was this push for you to receive Christ, to be saved, so you wouldn't go to hell and go to heaven, and that was it. And I thought, and still believe, that creates a really thin version of Christianity. Because there's this whole robust thing of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so therefore, I kind of drew a strong line between preaching the gospel and then growing in sanctification or growing in godliness. So in my mind, there are sort of two steps. Number one, you heard the gospel, and then you kind of move and believe the gospel, and then you kind of move beyond the gospel, and you grow up into maybe um, more mature themes, and you look at the Bible sort of as your manual for life. Well, I came to realize about 10 years ago that while that other model I don't think is helpful or right, neither is it right to leave the gospel behind. That the reality is that the whole Bible is essentially about one message, and that is that Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners. And that this message is not only about what happens when you die, but it also is this message that transforms your life every single day. And I began studying and looking at the Bible through this lens of how to apply the gospel in my life, not just once, but how to apply it in my life every single day coming to understand that the the bible's understanding of salvation is more holistic and that the gospel is incredibly transformative i mean that's what the apostle paul experienced he was on the damascus road jesus met him and his life dramatically changed from that moment forward in fact paul had um had seen the ways in which the gospel could transform people and culture And so for him, to preach the gospel was not just to preach it to people who had never heard it or who had never believed it. Certainly that was one audience, but also there was a role of preaching the gospel to believers, of reminding them of the importance of what they've believed and what they need to continually believe and live in every single day of their life. In other words, there's no separation from how you live as a follower of Jesus from the gospel. It's absolutely rooted in it. And so... Preaching the gospel to unbelievers was a vital part of Paul's ministry, but helping believers to rehearse the gospel and to apply the gospel was also a part, an important part of his ministry. And that's what I want to focus on today. What does it mean for us to apply the gospel? What does it mean for us to live in the gospel? So Paul goes on in this text and gives us three reasons why we ought to preach the gospel to ourselves and to others. In the text, he uses um, three different fours that explain why it is that he is passionate about preaching the gospel the first we find in verse 16 he says for i am not ashamed of the gospel 
He's not ashamed of it. That word shame means what you would feel if you were involved in a worthless cause or if you were following a a dubious person. He states it negatively here in that he says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You could state it positively to say that he could say, look, I'm I'm proud of the gospel. I, I love what the gospel does. And there's something about the gospel message that we need to come back to to be reminded that we ought not be ashamed of it. How does that show up? Well, this is simple as this is when we are moving from just a regular ordinary conversation and suddenly it's going to become about spiritual things and you kind of go over that evangelism cliff like last night i'm flying back from san antonio texas on a plane got a nice young guy sitting next to me we're talking and learning learning about what's going on in his world and i'm i'm waiting for the little hook that i'm going to throw out there a little bait and here here was my my bait i said so what do you do for a living threw it out there because i'm hoping he's going to ask me what i do for a living right so i said what do you do for a living so he told me and he says and what do you do for a living and then i thought oh you are going to regret asking that (laughs) but he took it and he said what do you do i said actually i'm a pastor and he looked at me and immediately the conversation changed and in that moment here's what i have to fight against and i'm sure it's the same thing that you do that in that moment there was a little bit of thing that comes up in my soul that says, I wonder what he's going to think of me and what I'm about to share next. And at that moment, we've got to fight that reality with this beautiful truth that we are not ashamed of the gospel. It is not that we are following some dubious person or some sort of alternative path. It is that we have the central story of the universe that every person needs to know. It is the means by which people are saved, how they are restored back to their creator. It is the way that people are transformed. It is the message, and therefore we ought not be ashamed of it. We ought to be proud of it and declare it because, brothers and sisters, it is gloriously good news. Right? I mean, seriously, you love sharing things with other people. If you came into church today and you found gas over on Michigan Road for a buck fifty, you would have told, you would have told fifty people already. You'd have been coming in like, "How are you doing? How was your week, dude? I just found gas over a duck buck fifty over in the corner." You'd be telling people, right? Still don't believe me? Come on, when you when you taste something, and I've used this before, it's it's just so human. When you taste something that's disgusting, you're like, "Oh, this is gross." What do you do? Here, taste it, right? right? Why? Because human beings, we love sharing our experiences, something new that has come, right? We, we love that. Whether it's gas or, you know, some disgusting thing that we're tasting or smelling. Ooh, smell that. Why? Why? Because we love to share, especially things that are significant and important. Here's the problem. Something happens after we come to faith in Christ, a couple months, a couple years, somehow we begin to learn that maybe the gospel just, or we feel that the gospel isn't as important as what it was. And so we're not inclined to share. We're not inclined as inclined to talk about it. And what I want to do today, God helping me, is to try and resurface, resurrect this passion for the beautiful good news that we have through the authoritative name of Jesus. So what do I mean by the gospel? Well, let me just summarize it. Essentially, it means this. It means that bottom line, I'm imperfect. I'm not perfect. I've sinned thousands, millions of times, it also means that I'm powerless. The Bible tells me I cannot change myself. But yet at the same time, the Bible tells me that I am loved, that Jesus died for me. He accepted me. 
It also means that I'm forgiven, that God cleansed me through the work that Jesus did. And then it means that God takes His Spirit and puts it within me such that I'm fundamentally changed from the inside out, that Jesus did what I could never do. And the result is that I have hope and then I have a future. And friends, that is unbelievable good news. That I am imperfect, I'm powerless, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm changed, I have I have hope and I have a future. This is an unbelievable message and we should not be ashamed of it. Instead, we should say this is the message that has changed the world, has changed my life, and it can change yours. And that's exactly what I said to this guy next to me. After I talked to him about what I did for a living, he said, wow, must be great to have that kind of calling. And I said, you know it is, because Jesus Christ radically changed my life and there's nothing greater in all the world than telling people about what it means to have a right relationship with their God through the shed blood of Jesus. And then he went to sleep. So it's good. <laughs> so, that was it. That's all. I, I, I Open a door. Open my mouth. Lord, open his heart. Gave him my business card. And who knows what that's going to do. I don't know. But that's what happened. Praise the Lord. Number two, the text goes on and it says, it's powerful. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So Paul indicates to you that there's power here. There's, there's power that is, that is happening in people's lives. Paul saw the ability of the gospel not only to save people individually, but what it would do to a corporate community. I mean, it's crazy. He sees people worshiping together. There's Jews, there's Gentiles, there's, there's slaves, there's masters, husbands, wives, parents and children, wealthy and poor, young and old. And regardless of their background, their socioeconomic status, their gender, their age, it is that the one thing that unites people together in the body of Christ is that they have a confession of faith that I believe that Jesus is Lord. And he, he saw that transforming work. This is, what the, this is what the gospel does. It transforms people. It transforms culture. You want to see justice happen in a land? Have the gospel come to it, and justice will take root. You want to see a marriage restored? Bring the gospel in. You want to see parents and children walk in a manner that is uh, wonderful, and as God intended, the gospel needs to be at the center. And the reason this is so important is that if, if you don't understand and, and, and cherish the gospel, the reality is you are living in a way that God never intended for you to live. And that's why there's this gaping hole so to speak in your soul like nothing ever satisfies and the reason is is that god's designed it to be that way that without him nothing really ever truly makes sense and satisfies bible says delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart meaning there's nothing more fulfilling in all the world than him so paul experienced the power of this and then he never got over it See, the gospel is not just about one's eternal destiny. The gospel is about your daily reality. In other words, don't think that once you just receive Christ that suddenly now you leave the gospel behind. Oh, no, 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 no. No, you take the gospel with you every single day. You live in the gospel. You apply the gospel. That you're not perfect. So stop trying to be perfect. And get over the fact that you're not perfect. Because everybody knows you're not perfect, right? And say, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm in love with the king who is. That's, that's what your identity comes from. Not from your performance, but from the promise of a God who loved you. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he had to live this way because Paul had a terrible past. Probably like, like you do. All of us have a past. You have things in your past you wish you could do over? Sure you do. 
wish you had an opportunity to go back and make things right and rewrite your history, but you can't. So what do you do with that? You know what you do with that? <laughs> you eclipse it with the story of the good news. So, you know, I've heard it said before, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Well, I don't know, don't get in the devil's face. But I'll tell you this, when, when the devil or your flesh reminds you of the past, you just preach the gospel to your own heart. When you feel accused, how could God love you because of all you've done? The answer is you're right. It's only because of his mercy. So Paul never denied his past. He just eclipsed it with the beauty of the gospel. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. If you have a copy of God's word, you could turn there. You could look at it in the manuscript or else you just, just listen. So, so if you don't know much about the apostle Paul, he, he was a very religious man. He was a persecutor of the church at the time. He was on the wrong side of Jesus. And then God intervened in his life on the Damascus Road and showed him where he was going and how off he was. And so Paul converted to Christianity, and he went from persecutor to chief spokesman. And you got to imagine, every church he went, there, there people were whispering, that's the guy who killed people in the name of the church. Can you imagine living with that baggage? Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now check this out. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent. I mean, that's a legit bad past right there. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And I love this. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And then notice he ends in doxology. To the King of, Ki- to the King of Ages, immortal and visibly, only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. See what he does? He doesn't deny his past. He doesn't pretend that he didn't happen in the past, that he wasn't a, a terrible person, but he doesn't live by it. He says, yeah, I had a past. I got a bad past. I got a seriously legit sinful past, but God's grace overflowed for me in the goodness and kindness that are in Christ Jesus. And so to that king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory forever and ever. Why? Because Paul was transformed by the beautiful reality of the gospel. So listen to me. You may have a really rough past. You may have stuff that you wish you could completely undo. The reality is, it's the platform upon which God's going to shine his mercy in your life and make his glory known even more. Then, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul um, is defending his apostleship. Verse 8, 1 Corinthians 15, 8, he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He just lays it out there. I mean, he's just... Like, look, this is what I did. I persecuted the church of God. No pretending, no phoniness, but then he says, verse 10, but by the grace of God, some of you need to underline this in your Bible, I am what I am. Isn't that great? By the grace of God, I am what I am. You want to love the gospel? Just be reminded that you are what you are only by the grace of God, even though you've got this past. says, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though not it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
So Paul couldn't forget his past, but what he could do is eclipse it with the beautiful reality of the gospel. Paul was saved from his sins, but he was also saved from himself. That's the message of the good news. The message that I hope that some of you will embrace this morning, that you know the problem isn't just what you do. I mean, seriously, the problem is who you are. How, how do you change what you desire? You can't. Only Jesus can change that. And then when he does, when you repent of your sins and receive him as Savior, then you apply this beautiful gospel to your life every single day. It's powerful not only once, it's powerful all the time. And if... You experience the beautiful power of what the gospel does in your life every day. I promise you, you will be more inclined to talk about it. When you are celebrating the beautiful reality that you were a sinner and God saved you by his grace, that you have a past with a long trek record, but God poured his mercy and grace over you, you will be more inclined to be able to give testimony of what it is that God has done. So it is... Something that he's not ashamed of. It's not, it's also something that is powerful. Here's the third thing, and that is that the gospel reveals righteousness by faith. This verse, verse 17, is as scandalous as it is glorious. It's, it's scandalous in the fact that the Bible reveals that righteousness comes to those who don't do anything. God gives it to them, and they just have to believe, they have to trust. So the scandal of the cross is that Jesus, the Son of God, dies, and those who believe in Him, they put their trust in Him. They they put their faith in His work, that His work creates atonement for us, that those people are then declared righteous. And that's what this verse says. It reveals righteousness. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, meaning Old Testament faith and New Testament faith. That's what that means. And therefore, Paul quotes Habakkuk, an Old Testament prophet, where he says, the righteous shall live by faith. It means that righteousness, a right relationship with God, comes to those who believe, those who trust, those who put their faith in something other than themselves. It means that even though you know that you are imperfect, even though you are powerless... You are still loved and changed and forgiven and have hope and have a future all because of Jesus. And this, this can change everything. Let me give you a few examples of how to apply the gospel. So when it comes to your, your eternal destiny, we'll start there. So, where you're, so when you die and you stand before God, you know, are you on your way to heaven or are you on your way to hell? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. It means that the closer you get to death, or maybe you have like a a health scare, it means that you still believe that God is going to be true to his word, and you put your faith in his word. So you apply the gospel by saying, God, I believe this to be true, not just once, but I believe it all throughout my life, and I believe it even to my very last breath. How about identity? How do you apply the gospel to your identity? Well, when you receive Christ, and as you apply the gospel, you are reminded that your worth doesn't come from what you did, but from what Jesus did. I mean, so that the whole culture is is predicated on performance, 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 performance. And we have this whole group of people called Christians who aren't living by performance. Their value doesn't come by what they produce or what they do. Their value comes by what relationship they are in, in terms of their walk with God. 
So now your identity doesn't come from your status in life, your income, your job, the things that you do, as glorious and as wonderful and as fruitful as those things are. They're gifts. They're a part of your human existence. But at the end of the day, your identity doesn't come from those things. Your identity comes from the fact that you are a child of God. That's the gospel. How do you apply the gospel when you fail miserably? You blow it. You make a mess of something. You sin. You know what you do? You apply the gospel by being reminded that God loved you even in your imperfect condition. He didn't love you because you were worthy of his love. He didn't love you because somehow you were better than most. Rather, he knows the nakedness of who you really are and still he chose to love you. I mean, it's beautiful to be accepted by the creator of the universe through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that changes even how we see our failures. Here's another one. When you're filled with anxiety or worry, you, you apply the gospel, being reminded that God is sovereign over all the events of life. And even though things may not make sense or when they're very alarming, you can rest knowing that God will give you grace for what you face because he's given you grace and saved you in the first place. Or maybe you get up tomorrow morning and it's just a normal day. It's just a Monday. Another sleepy Monday after losing an hour of sleep this weekend. What do you do on a normal day? What you do on a normal day is you apply the gospel by being reminded everything you do, you do for the glory of God. You get a dead-end job, don't like your boss, think your career's going nowhere? Yeah, you go to work and you go to work for the glory of God. You... Um, You raise your kids for the glory of God. You study at school, kids, for the glory of God. You you, you clean your bedroom for the glory of God. Right, moms? Right? A little shout-out to those room-cleaning moms, right? You obey your parents, and you do all of these things. Why? Because you have to? No, but because the gospel has transformed what you see in life. In that respect... Gospel living is a bit like marriage. So this summer is our 20th anniversary. I can hardly believe I'm that old. June 25th, 1983, gave my vows to Sarah. And you know what I've discovered over the years? That while I pledged my vows on that one day, the older I get, the longer I've been married, the more I've had to apply those vows in all areas of life, the more all-encompassing this one flesh union really is. I mean, so I'm figuring out how to apply my marriage vows to every arena of my life. From from things like decisions to doing dishes. From finances to friends, we apply our vows. To child rearing to communication. From dreams of what will be in the future to doing diapers, which thankfully we don't have to do anymore. From worship, apply our vows in worship to to to, to wallpapering. Okay, if you, if you can if you can wallpaper together, you're good for like five years, guarantee it. <laughs> From affirmation to affection, so you apply your vows to all of these things, and the, and the more I apply my vows, the more I live out every day what it means to have pledged my vows to Sarah, the better, godlier husband I really am. The same thing is true for the gospel, but in infinitely more glorious ways. Understanding the gospel is one thing, but it is is entirely a different matter to apply the gospel. 
When you apply it every day, when you think about it, when you meditate on it, it becomes your identity, when it becomes your hope, when it becomes your passion, when it becomes your joy, you will not be able to contain yourself. So the challenge to motivate you today to share the gospel is not go out there because you have to, but instead to be able to elevate your affections and to help you to realize the beautiful reality of what has taken place in your life for you to celebrate this life-transforming message that has fundamentally changed who you are and this good news that everyone needs to hear, not just because it is God's word. That's one reason, but also because it is the one transforming word that everyone needs to know. This is good news. Good news that you have been fundamentally transformed. Good news that you were imperfect. That you were powerless. That you were loved. That you were forgiven. That you were changed. That you have hope and you have a future. To be able to celebrate, this is everything that I live for. And therefore, it ought to be something that is on the tip of our tongue. I was thinking about this all weekend, just meditating on it, trying to put this into practice, experiment with it, being reminded, exhorted in my own soul about the importance of the gospel. I was thinking about it. And um, as I said before, I was in San Antonio, Texas. I was out to lunch with some friends, and we're going to some kind of uh, backyard Texas barbecue restaurant thing. It was really every aspect of Texas you can imagine. Big hats, cowboy boots, twanging music, I mean, brisket, the whole nine yards. As I'm coming through the, the line, I had some kind of crazy shirt on and the the lady at the counter said well that shirt says good morning (laughs) she said it with a little that shirt says good morning something like that and i've just been thinking about this all day i couldn't help myself thinking about this all day i couldn't help myself and i said you know actually it kind of says hallelujah doesn't it or maybe even praise the lord and she said well i guess you're a follower of jesus aren't you (laughs) and i said yes ma'am i am and that's what happens. I, I couldn't even help myself. It just just came out. Why? Because I'm thinking about, I'm meditating on. Why? Well, take a shirt and say, that shirt says good morning. Really? So you go into work on Monday and someone says, um, so how was the weekend? Oh, it was great. But wouldn't you want to talk a little bit about what happened on Lord's Day? Someone, you see something, the weather's outside is beautiful. and Isn't the weather nice? Doesn't the weather somehow connect us to the glory of God? And the reality is we can connect all sorts of things to the beautiful reality of what God is doing. The problem is, though, is that somehow in our affections they begin to leak over time and we don't have the kind of heart that we need to for the gospel and we need to resurrect this gospel, resurrect it and let it be what it was designed to be, the most life-transforming message in all of the world. Friends, we will be more likely to share the gospel when we are applying it to our lives all the time. So here's what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you first to know the gospel. You may be here today and you've never given your heart and life to Christ. And I'm just telling you, look, you're not perfect. You know that you're not. And that's a huge problem because God is. And you've got to do something about that. The Bible says if you don't, you'll be under judgment. And the message of the Bible is Jesus comes in order to bring you back to your creator by dying for you to pay for your sins. And the beauty of the gospel... The beauty is that God counts Jesus' death as your own and calls you holy even though you are really not. He calls you forgiven and does it through the shed blood of Jesus. And you've got to know the gospel. And today, if you've not received Christ, today could be the very first day where you move from being a non-Christian to being a Christian. Oh, I hope that today would be a day like that.
you got to know the gospel. Secondly, you got to rehearse it. So once you know the gospel, you need to preach it to yourself, restate it to yourself. You need to remind yourself of what the gospel is, not because you are somehow going to forget the gospel, but because our affections for the gospel tend to leak. Third, we got to rejoice in it. We got to sing about it. We got to glory in it. We got to love it because the gospel is more than just facts. It's something we should never get over. It is something that is so glorious and wonderful. And then finally, here's the call. When God opens an opportunity, I want you to talk about the gospel. See, when, when the gospel grabs your heart, when it deeply affects you, people will notice. And when they notice that there's something different about you, tell them why. Man, you seem happy today. Oh yeah, it's Monday. Whatever. Softball, hit it, hit it. You seem happy today. Oh man, why shouldn't I, man? My life is full of Jesus, and I just absolutely love the fact that God loves me, even though I am completely imperfect. Now, that person may go, Have a nice day. I mean, they may walk away, right? But listen, open a door, open your mouth, just let it go. Talk about it, share it. Believe that it really works, that it changes you, it changes everything about you. You see, applying the gospel helps us get our motivations for evangelism right by getting our affections right. The problem is not that most of us don't know the gospel. The problem is that we have lost the love for the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we need to resurrect the gospel. Not because it's dead but because our hearts have grown cold to the beautiful reality of this message. And what I want you to pray with me this week is this. God, would you open a door? Would you open my mouth? And would you open their heart? I want you to pray with me that we would pray this prayer. God, open a door, open my mouth, and open their heart. I want you to be ready for the answer to that prayer And it starts with applying the gospel to our lives. I want your affections to be raised for the gospel so that you're ready to share the gospel. Now, i got a treat for you this morning. Uh, Laura and Christine, why don't you come? Know where you ladies are? Where are they? They're there. They're in the backstage. Come on up here. You're going to hear a great story of the way in which God has uh, specifically worked through Laura sharing the gospel with Christine. And you're going to see the beautiful things that happen when God opens a door, when you open your mouth, that sometimes God gloriously opens a heart. All right? Thanks for sharing. Hi. Good morning. Like most women at Butler University, I joined a sorority my freshman year. I felt like God was calling me to use my time in in the house for his purposes, to get to know and love other women in a way that reflected Christ junior year, my friend Christine moved into our sorority. I was really struggling when I moved into the Alpha Chi house. Most of my life, I had sought satisfaction through performance, seeking approval from others. But the older I got, the more I realized that was so short-lived. And by the time I moved into Laura's house, I was on a pretty destructive path of rebellious thrill-seeking. I thought, if I can't be perfect, then maybe these other things could satisfy me. Christine and I were really different people, but it became clear early in our friendship that God was working in her life. That year, I was living with my friend Anne, and Christine would show up in our room all the time. We didn't really know where she was spiritually, but she had tons of questions about heaven and hell, about God, his word, and his son. 
They didn't know where I was spiritually, and neither did I. Um, Ann and Laura were just really gracious. I spent hours in their room, and they would just listen to me and love me. They would answer questions when they could, and they would be honest when they couldn't. I was desperately seeking for something, but I didn't know what. And one night, I have this really vivid memory of lying awake in the sorority house, just thinking over and over, what more could I possibly want? I was born into this amazing family. I'd had numerous opportunities every season of life, and here I was surrounded by great friends. I was so empty. I didn't know what I believed about God at the time, but that night I pleaded with him and said, please show me what I need. Anne and I knew that in and of ourselves, we didn't have what Christine needed. We we couldn't convince her of the reality of Jesus Christ on our own. In fact, one afternoon, she said rather directly to us, I know you think I need to accept Christ, but I'm never going to be one of those people. And while we couldn't convince her of her own need, we could love her. We could trust the Holy Spirit, and we could pray. So that's what we kept on doing. We didn't always know how to answer her questions, but we knew that God had the power to show himself to her in unmistakable ways and draw her to himself. And one very clear night, he did just that. I went with Ann and Laura to a crew meeting on campus, and I had heard the gospel countless times before, but I heard it that night, and something was different. It felt like God and I were the only two in the room, and he was just removing the things that blinded me. All of a sudden, he opened my eyes, and and I realized that the need I was feeling was the need for a Savior. I needed him. I needed Jesus. On the way back to the sorority house, Christine said, I think I need to accept Christ. So we went upstairs to our room, and the three of us just sat down on the floor and prayed together. And it was really that simple. Um, But it was really something I can't even begin to describe. Things started happening in my heart that I couldn't explain. My desires, my appetites, my goals were just altogether different now. I had previously ignored Christ, um, but that night I started to love him. I knew that he was filling my life, and it was like I was walking one way, and in a moment he just completely turned me around to follow him. I knew that he loved me. I had been forgiven. And that changed everything. Amen. Isn't that awesome? And there's a whole other part of the story. In fact, uh, elders, if you would come to the platform uh, right now. So Laura shares the story of the gospel. Christine receives Christ, and she's a medical doctor and is being commissioned today to uh, use her skills in the country of Pakistan and being sent out from our church. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. So we're going to do what uh, we do around here at College Park, which is we're going to lay hands on her, and uh, we're going to ask the Lord to bless her as she goes into the uh, harvest field. And uh, when God opens the door and we open our mouth and he opens the heart, he may even open a field of ministry. So dream that dream with us. Would you pray as uh, Pastor Nate leads us and our elders commission Christine today? Oh, Father, what a refreshing and encouraging message this has been today. We do love the gospel because of its power. It has power to change a life of a young girl at Butler. 
And we rejoice in seeing Christine here share how you have turned her life 180 degrees around. You have brought life and freedom and joy and purpose into her life. Father, the gospel is greater than that. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jew, Greek, American, or Pakistani. No matter what their background or religion is, even if they're Muslims, the gospel is the power for salvation. And Lord, our prayer for Christine as she goes to Pakistan in your timing, and we do ask that you would provide a visa for her and for Karen and Kristen as well. But our prayer is that she would go in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit, that she would take this powerful gospel and through the love of her medical care and through the words of her mouth, Lord, would this gospel transform Muslims in the country of Pakistan? Would it bring them from darkness to light, from death to life? Would you teach them that the the gospel is from beginning to end by faith alone? And that these people who are trying to earn their salvation would understand that they cannot do it. We can never do enough, but you have done it all, Lord Jesus. So take that message. It's full in Christine's heart. And Lord, we pray that it might be full through her, that it might bear great fruit in the lives of many in the years to come. So we just commend her now and commit her to your grace, that the power that has changed her life would change a country for the glory of your name and for the eternal salvation of souls that you love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Elders, just stay here for a moment if you would. Listen, if, um, if you need to talk to someone today about uh, what it means to have a relationship with Christ, there'll be some folks up here afterwards. They would love to be able to talk with you. Or if you just feel convicted that it's been a long time since you either shared the gospel, and frankly, this, this idea of the resurrected gospel, you need affections for Christ and the gospel back, there's some folks up here who would love to be able to pray over you, asking for God to empower you in that labor. So God, open the door. Open my mouth, open their heart, all right? God bless you, College Park. I love you. Have a great day.